I, I know several of you in the audience, and I love you and appreciate you so, so much. And I appreciate you being here, and I hope that our studies together this week will be profitable and beneficial uh, to us all. And really, the lessons, all the lessons will be about the heart and be various aspects of the heart that we will look at. This morning in Bible study, we'll talk about heart condition. And obviously, one of the problems that we see among the religious world and even among those of us who are Christians is a problem with the heart. Uh, every item of worship that we are to participate in that the Lord commands and requires of us, obviously, our heart is involved in that. If our worship is to be acceptable unto God, he says our worship must be done in spirit and in truth. Though the word heart is not used there, but when you look at the word spirit, it involves the heart. Because it actually deals with the attitude of heart that we have. Obviously, our worship has to be offered according to truth, but also our heart has to be in, involved in that. We sing with the spirit and we sing with the understanding. Numbers of passages just like that. But do you realize that the word heart or hearts is used 979 times in the scriptures? That's quite a bit, isn't it? And as John says, it's not talking about the blood pump, but it's talking about the mind. That our mind has to be engaged in what we do. And one of the problems is, is that our heart sometimes is not what it should be. And really, what, that's what I want us to look at throughout the week and hopefully... We can say some things relative to that that will help us making sure that we have pure hearts. In Proverbs 14 in verses 30, he said, A sound heart is life to the body. Now, once again, he's not talking about the blood pump, but he's talking about mentally. And he said, But envy is rottenness to the bones. A sound heart. How would you view your heart? What do you think about your heart? Do you, would you consider your heart being sound or healthy? Where, where's your heart right now? Are, are you thinking about what we're doing and what we're engaging in? Will, will you participate as we look at the scriptures? Will you meditate upon those things and think of them? Or do we have a tendency to have our hearts and minds somewhere else during worship service? Even partaking of the Lord's Supper, is our mind focused upon what we're doing and what that really means to us as Christians? And that's really what I want us to consider and think about. Have you ever think about or thought about what God sees when He looks at us? What, what does He see? Does He see the heart? Does He see what's in the heart? Well, that's really what He what He sees it. And that's really what I want us to focus in on as well as we study a little bit together this morning. God always looks inwardly. This is a familiar passage I, I suspect to all of you in the audience, all good Bible students. This is when Samuel was sent to Jesse's house and to select David to be king. Because Saul had violated God's law, he was rejected from being king. And so God tells Samuel to go to Jesse's house. And said, so it was that they, when they came, that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now, you understand that Eliab was the oldest of Jesse's eight sons. David was the eighth son. 
Eliab was the oldest of that. No doubt he would have been probably the tallest, the largest. And so when Samuel sees him, he said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him now. Surely this is the one that God has selected. You know, he may have been bigger in stature. He may have been stronger physically at this point and at this time. But this is not the one that God selects. And the reason that this is not the one that God selects is because this is not the one that was described as a man after God's own heart. That would have been David. He said, but the Lord said to Samuel, he said, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature. Did he appear like a king? Maybe was he taller and muscular? He said, because I have refused him, he said, for the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Do you realize that's what he's looking at when he's looking at us? He's looking at our heart. And he wants us to have a heart that seeks the Lord like David did. It's amazing in the 17th chapter of 1 Samuel, and that's not really what this lesson is about. But you remember David's three older brothers were in battle. And you remember this is where David encounters Goliath as he goes out and takes food sent from Jesse to those Three older sons. To be in the army, you had to be at least 20 years old to serve in the army. So now if you look at that from the standpoint that the oldest was 22, the next would be 21 and 20. And do you know how old David was when he fought Goliath? About 15 years old. Pretty amazing, isn't it? When he was selected to be king, you see, he was about 15. Now, he wasn't anointed, and he didn't serve until he was about 30. But you see, God is looking at the heart of this individual, and this is the one that God selects, and this is the one that God chooses. Because that's what he's looking at. He's looking at the heart. Do you realize that he knows and he understands our heart? He understands whether we're worshiping him acceptably. And if our heart truly is involved in our life and in our services unto the Lord, over and over we see expressions much like this. When Judas hung himself, and of course they were going to replace Judas with Joseph or Matthias. And it says that when they prayed, talking about those who would become or those who were apostles of the Lord, and said, You, O Lord, who knows the hearts of all, And show which of these two you have chosen. You you know their hearts. Which one do you want us to select as you look at the heart of that individual? Is this the one you want us to select because of the heart being right with God, with you? Matthias was the one that was selected, of course, as we know. But God knew the hearts. Later in Acts 15, Peter says this in verses 8. Luke records it for us. It said, so God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. God who knows the heart. Talking about pouring out of the Spirit upon the Gentile. He selected them for salvation just like he did the Jews. 
And he knew their heart. So what God sees when he looks at us, he sees our hearts. And he knows what's in our hearts. That we cannot hide from God. Now we may deceive others, but we cannot deceive God. So that's what God sees. He knows the very intents of the hearts as well. Not only does he know the thought of the heart, but he knows what we intend by our actions, maybe even toward others. In Hebrews 4, in verses 12, he said, For the word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God is the one that gives the word of God. And the word of God is that which can discern or distinguish between the very thoughts and the intents. God knows what we intend to do. And our intent of the action that we may take toward others. He knows that. Sometimes through the years, have you ever had someone that may say something, they may tell you something, but you understand and see by their action that that's not what they intended. Sometimes that can be good or bad. But God understands that. God knows the very intents of the heart. So when we're thinking about God and God looking, what God sees, he sees the inward man. That he knows and he understands what's within the heart of the individual. He knows what's in your heart. He knows your very intentions. And so that's what God sees when he looks at us. And so he knows our heart. Do you realize that our hearts can be corrupted? Once again, the Bible is very plain concerning this. Jesus warned. In Matthew 15, verses 18, 19, and 20, he said, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. You know, they were condemning Jesus and his disciples for eating with unwashed hands. Now, if you understand that, look at the text, you, un, uh, you know that he's not talking about for sanitary purposes. But uh, Mark's account said they would wash hands a certain way. They had to wash hands. My understanding is that they would wash their hands and they would let the water drain off exactly right and drip from the elbows. That they would go through this ceremonial washing and cleaning. And his disciples didn't do that. He said, that's not what defiles a man. He said, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. So the heart can be defiled. The evil actions that we see in an individual life, they actually come from the heart. A heart that's defiled and that is not pure in the eyes of God. And we have to be sure, and we'll be talking about guarding our hearts and some of the lessons and how we can guard our hearts and make sure that these things do not proceed from our, from our hearts. A corrupted heart can lead to the depths of degradation and can lead people away from God. And how corrupt that we can see that people can become as a result of a defiled heart. 
Have you noticed this in the last several years of how corrupt our nation has become? You know, I think all of us are aware of that. And of things that we would not have at one time thought that people would be guilty of and proud of in this nation, that all of a sudden, all of these evil, wicked, ungodly, and unprincipled things, not only do they do them, but they're proud that they do them. Homosexuality. When I was in school, that was something that was almost unheard of. There was one guy that I knew of, or at least we thought he was, that was probably guilty of homosexuality, that, but he didn't practice it that I know of, though that's what he had a tendency to do. He didn't come out and boast about the fact of what he was guilty of. But now, all of a sudden, it's almost as if that's something to be proud of. Transgender. It's amazing, isn't it? Paul said this in Romans 1. I want you to notice the depths of degradation that the Gentiles would reach. Because of two things, I want you to see at least two things that stand out in these verses. He said, because although they knew God, did they know God? Did he understand that there was a God that they should serve? Well, they understood that. It says they knew God. But it said they did not glorify him as God. They stopped honoring him. They stopped glorifying him. And then it says, nor were thankful. Well, that pretty well describes our generation, doesn't it? Our nation. How many people this day and time actually honor and glorify God? And how many people really are thankful to God? They say that with their mouths, but I think their hearts are far from being one that would honor and glorify and be thankful to God. But now notice. He said, but became. But became. This is what they became. He said they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise. Sometimes I think we would like to be as wise as some people really think that they are in the world. They're far from that though, aren't they? Said they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. And birds and four-footed animals and creeping things... Therefore, God also gave them up. You know, there are three times in this text that he talks about giving them up or giving them over. He allowed them to do what they wanted to do. He allowed them to continue in sin. He allowed them to reach the depths of degradation and he condemned them for that. And the same would be true in our country this day and time. He will let you do that if that's what you choose. But he's going to hold you responsible for that as well. God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts, lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now you know in Romans, 
The next chapter, he identifies the sins of the, the Jews. You know, they would preach that a man should not steal, then they turn around and steal. They'd preach that you should not commit adultery, then they would turn right around and commit adultery. And so their hearts were far from being right with God as well. In chapter 3, he said that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 23 said, verse 10, there are none righteous, no, not one. All were sinners in need of salvation that was offered through Jesus Christ. But look what happens when our hearts become corrupted and the depths of degradation that we can reach. Do you know someone like that? Do you know someone at one time or at one point in their lives that they loved the Lord and they put the Lord first and now all of a sudden God's not important to them? And then you see all kinds of sins that they're guilty of. I've been preaching for a little over 40 years and I've seen that many, many, many times through those years. So the heart can become corrupted. You and I are responsible for the content of the heart. In Genesis 6, verses 5, 6, and 7, it said, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Only evil continually. That's all they thought of. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Did he hold them responsible for the contents of their heart? Did he hold them responsible for the thoughts that every thought and intent was on evil continually. Yes. Did he destroy them? Yes. Do we think that he wouldn't do that to us? Isn't that one of the reasons that we certainly need to guard our hearts and so that our hearts do not become corrupt? You know, that's one of the reasons that we need to be careful about our hearts and that we do guard them. Let me suggest something else to you. The Bible certainly, as I've already mentioned, tells us to guard the heart. We're told why, and of course, obviously, the effort that it takes. In Proverbs 4, in verses 23, he said, Keep your heart with all diligence. You have to be dedicated to do that? Does it take dedication on our part to guard the heart? He said, For out of it springs the issues of life. In pulpit commentary on Proverbs says this. He said the fact here stated is that the moral conduct of life, its actions and proceedings are determined by the condition of the heart. If the heart is pure, the life will be pure. If the heart is corrupt, the life will be corrupt. That's why it's so important that we guard the heart. I've made this statement for years, and I still believe it to be the truth. You know, it's hard for us to do wrong when we're around good people. Wouldn't you agree with that? But what about when you're around people who are wicked and evil? Is it easy to do the same things that they're doing? 
It's pretty easy, isn't it? You know, I didn't grow up in the Lord's church. Far, far be it from that. My life was lived in such a way that I'm ashamed to even tell you how I used to live my life. I'm thankful by the grace of God that I could be forgiven. But a lot of things that I was guilty of was because the people that I was around, because of the things that they did. And I let that influence me. There's no excuse. I'm not trying to make an excuse. I have no excuse. But if you want to be pure, it takes dedication, diligence on our part. Because our moral conduct comes from the heart. I love what he says. It's actions and proceedings are determined from the condition of the heart. So we have to guard our hearts. That's what he's telling us to do. How do we do that? One thing he tells us in Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 22, he said, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Is that one way we can guard our hearts? Give attention to the study of God's Word? To spend time each week? How much time do you spend each week in the study of God's Word? Of reading and meditating upon. And I'm not just talking about when we come to church services. That's great that we come to church services and we sit and we listen. We have our Bible lesson prepared when we come to Bible study. And we listen to the preacher as he preaches and teaches. That's all great. But how much time do you spend in the study of God's Word at home? Back in the late 70s. Before I started preaching, I started preaching in 1980. But before I started preaching, I was a mechanic and I worked for a fellow who was a member of the Church of El Bethel. He was a really good mechanic and he taught me a lot about mechanics and, uh, while I worked for him. But he was a man of honesty, a man of integrity. And I saw that by working around him every day. But I'll always remember, he lived on Rolling Road in Shebbyville, and I'll always remember driving by sometimes in the afternoon. You know where he was at? I would see him a lot of times sitting in the front yard under a shade tree in a comfortable chair, and he had his Bible out, and he was reading from his Bible. That always impressed me. Here's a man that spent time in the study of his word. Here's a man that did all that he could to guard his heart. And so that he understood that the issues of life that proceeded from it came as a result of a pure heart. And he was doing all that he could to guard that. He gave attention to the word of God. In Psalms 119, in verses 11, the psalmist said, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's the reason why it's so important to study it, know it, understand God's word. So how much time do you spend? It's one of the ways, obviously, that we can guard our hearts. If we guard our hearts, then we're going to guard our words as well. 
In Proverbs 4, in verses 24, he said, Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put perverse lips far from you. See, my words are that which proceeds from my heart. I used to work with a guy. I believe he had one of the most vulgar mouths that I probably have ever heard. He would curse and swear. Even use the Lord's name in vain. Well, that's not that unusual for us to see that in the world, really, is it? If they know that you're a Christian and you obviously manifest that by the way that you live, most of the time people will abstain from vulgarity. But not this guy. But you know, the thing that amazed me is the fact that he told me one time that he was a Christian. And I said, a Christian? And using such speech as that? Well, I thought he was using the word Christian pretty loosely, you know. We're talking about somebody maybe in a denominational setting. Then all of a sudden he tells me that he's a member of the Lord's church. And you use such speech as that? But you know, that's not the topper yet. Then he told me that he was a Bible class teacher in the Lord's church. And that he taught young kids the Bible at church services. I've only been a Christian for a short time at that moment. And so I started looking for a track. I remember reading a track. Why do you talk like that? And so I took him that track and I gave him that track. And I said, would you please read this? And he didn't read it. He came back and he kind of laughed a little bit. And he said, you're, you're right. But you know, he never did change. He continued that same pattern the whole time that I, I knew. And how sad that is. But that's not the only words that we're talking about here. There's a lot of ways that we can misuse the ability to speak. But we have to put away those kind of things, lying, diff different things from our, from our lips. In Matthew 12, in verses 34, Jesus said, Brood of vipers, he said, How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Do you realize that you don't have to be around someone very long to see really what's important to them in life? Just listen to them. Now, I'm not talking about words that would be vulgar or something of that nature. But listen to the conversation that they have with you. Do they talk to you about the Bible? Do they talk to you about religious things? Or is their mind constantly on something else? Is that how they use their speech? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Ephesians 4, verses 29, Paul said, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. There's how we need to use our minds. We need to make sure that we guard our hearts, and if we guard our hearts, then we'll guard our speech, and we'll use our speech to honor and to glorify God, and we'll use it to encourage and edify and strengthen and build up other people. 
You know, I find myself many times going and visiting those who are sick, various things there in Lewisburg. You go to try to teach them and to encourage them. We got to see one of our members last week that I hadn't seen in over a year because of COVID. So the nursing homes are beginning to open back up and let you visit with them a little bit. We communicated with her all, the whole time, but uh, not able to, to see. Being one of the elders there, we usually go and visit, and we're visiting, try to encourage. And you know who usually leaves encouraged? It's usually us. It's usually because of the things that they say to us and how they encourage us. You know, some people just have a knack to say words that will lift you up. That's the kind of speech that we need to use. Honor and glorify God and encourage and strengthen and edify one another. If our hearts, if we guard our hearts, we'll stay focused on the right things. Proverbs 4 and verses 25, he said, Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. What's your focus in life? What do you really focus on? Are you focused on going to heaven when this life is over? Is that what you focused in on? Recently, back in the end of September, the 1st of October, I had COVID. Spent 11 days in the hospital. Didn't think I was going to make it out of that, but uh, thankful for the prayers of all the saints and for the good Lord. And so was finally able to get out of it was six weeks before I could even heart attack a step. But, uh, but you know, when you're laying in the hospital, you have a lot to think about. <laughs> have a lot of time to think, anyway. Makes you think about what's really important. You know, the kind of house that you live in and the kind of car that you drive and the money that you have in, your bank, in the bank, that's not on your mind, I'm going to tell you. That's, that's, that's not what you're going to be thinking about. No, you're thinking about where you're going when this life is over. That's what you're thinking about. At least that's what I thought about. See, if our heart's right, then that's what we want to make sure that we do, that we stay focused. And we don't want to just be sick to stay focused, but we want to stay focused all the time. You know, when you're sick, it brings things home to you. And reality sets in that life is short and it can't end. But I've got to make sure that I always stay focused on heaven and serving God. That's what I, that I always do. In Acts 7 and verses 39, this is Stephen's sermon. He said, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected. And in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. They longed for and lusted for the things that they had in Egypt. Instead of being pleased with God and delivering them out of bondage and taking them toward the promise. You know, sometimes we're amazed at all the murmuring that the children of Israel were guilty of, despite of everything that God had, did, had done for them. But do we find ourselves doing those same things sometimes? Are we really focused on the right things? 
Take time to go back and read verses 59 through verses 62 of this text. You know, there are three things that really stand out to me in this, and that is there's a cost, priorities, and focus in life. And, and look at that with, with those three thoughts in mind. He said, and another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, some of you in this audience are old enough to remember. Maybe your father, grandfather, or whatever, plowing with a mule. Remember that? My dad was a coal miner. They used mules a lot. Plowed with them a lot. But you know, the only way that you can plow a straight ferret across the field is by focus. You look at something across on the other side of the field and you keep your eyes focused in on it. And that's what we've got to do to get to heaven. We've got to make sure that our eyes are focused on heaven. Keeping our hearts pure and keeping our thoughts and minds upon things that are righteous and holy and good. So we have to stay focused. And certainly we'll walk as God directs us. He said, ponder the path of your feet. And let all your ways be established. And do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. See, if I guard my heart, then I'm going to walk as God would have me to walk. Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16, he said, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming, making wise use of the time. We all have the same amount of time. But we have to make wise use of it. He said, Because the days are evil. The word circumspectly is defined as exactly, accurately, diligently, to live carefully, circumspectly, deviating in no respect from the law of duty. Joseph Henry Thayer says in his words. So that's how I guard my heart. One other point, the lesson will be yours. We have about five minutes. Think about change and the process that leads to change. Hearts were corrupted and then changed. In Titus 3, verses 3, 4, and 5, he said, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, Paul says, as he writes to the young evangelist, deceived. He said, Serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of, uh, of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. We changed, and so can we. Even though our hearts may have been corrupted at one time, we can guard our hearts and can change our hearts. I've seen lots of people change through the years and become righteous and holy and godly people. It all begins by changing the way we think. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or spiritual service. And do not be conformed to this world. One translation says, do not allow the world to pour you into its mold. That's exactly what the world is trying to do. It's trying to mold us. It's trying to mold the way we think. And if it molds the way we think, then it will mold what we do in life. 
These end up being transformants where we get our English word metamorphosis. By the renewing of your mind, you renew or change your mind. You change the way you think that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, if I renew my mind and change the way that I think, will it not result in a change in the way that I live and lead my life? If I think like Christ, will I be constantly trying to act like Christ? And the answer to that is yes. The re renewing here is defined as a renewal or renovation, complete change for the better. That's how Thayer defines it. Robertson in his word pictures of the New Testament, he said, there must be a radical change in the inner man for one to live rightly in this evil age. He said, by the renewing of your mind, he said, instrumental case, he said, the new birth, the new mind, the new man. We have to change the way we think. And if we change the way we think, we'll change the way that we live and lead our lives. Well, I hope the lesson's been of some benefit to you. I appreciate very much you listening. I look forward to the next one. <coughs>